Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things football, basketball, recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Joining me on the line are fellow Wolverine 24-7, Michigan beat writer Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hull. Uh, having a good time with this podcast so far. Loving the positive feedback we've gotten, and our and our readership is up. We're averaging now about 3,000 listeners per episode, so that's that's obviously great to hear. We'll try to keep it going as we enter fall camp and football practice. Uh, entering the final month of the summer. Uh, we do have one one more, two, two summer-related questions that we'll get to first, and then we've got some lots to talk about Michigan football and a little bit about Michigan basketball as well. We'll start with Star Fox. We'll get our off-topic questions out of the way first to help break the ice. Uh, maybe have some fun before you guys turn things off. He asked, favorite flavor of ice cream? And he added the caveat, if history is any indication... Zach will have an atrocious answer, which is an atrocious statement, Star Fox. Uh, but I'll let you guys go first. Favorite flavors of ice cream? Uh, probably just like chocolate chip cookie dough. That's really uh, it's my favorite flavor of ice cream. Really, no elaboration there. I like. I mean, I haven't. I don't really eat ice cream that much anymore. But I guess if I had, if I had one, and it was like you had any choice, probably be a good old fashioned chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. Isaiah? You know, I don't really have, like, a favorite, per se. It's one of those things with ice cream where it's, like, most of it's good for the most, you know, for the most part. But that, I'd probably say something like a Boost Tracks just because I like peanut butter cups and caramel a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. Like a uh, like a salted caramel type deal, uh, like a salted caramel gelato or something like that, usually. Okay. Pretty good. So, yeah. What's what's the what's the verdict on Blue Moon? Anybody like Blue Moon ice cream? Is that the blue kind of like minty type? No, I always thought Blue Moon actually had like a cinnamon ish hmm. flavor to it. You guys ever had Blue Moon ice cream? Uh, I think so. I think it was fine. Yeah. I'm really, I really, there's very few flavors that I don't like of ice cream. Like I think Superman might be the only one I don't like. Uh, I'm with both you guys. I love I love when there's cookie dough in there. I love when there's uh, caramel. Uh, pretzels. I've had like a pretzel, like ice cream with like pretzel in it. That was actually pretty good. Yeah, I've um, had that too. That's peanut awesome. butter cups. You know, I used to be very, very much in the lines of like just give me the vanilla or like the butter pecan. But as I've as I've gotten older, I've wanted more of the substance and the sugary stuff. So. No, but butter butter pecan is like the tab yeah. of yeah. ice creams. I feel like <laughs> just nothing about it like is yeah. appealing to me. Nope, I agree. Yeah, I like uh like some of the artisan types when you get into kind of uh, this is gonna sound way off the wall, but kind of like a lavender type or something like that. Oh, kind of a couple things like that that I, I think I think I've had lavender and I don't recall liking it. Yeah, um, yeah. Just give me Isaiah, some... you should go to Blank Slate in Ann Arbor. It's it's got oh, all I the bougie flavors. That. Yeah, I haven't been there yet, though. <laughs> Two blocks they, uh, away. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, kind of losing my... Tr- oh, so Moose Tracks ice cream, though, you know, the peanut butter cups are what always get all the lava. I actually always like the solid pieces of chocolate that are hmm. inside of those. There's something about it uh, that I always liked, I guess. But again, I mean, I haven't had a bowl of Moose Tracks ice cream. And, and I am a bowl guy. I'm not a cone guy. Oh, at I was going like, to say, because you get the no. chocolate chunks in the cone... Suddenly, it. I've had situations. I've had very messy, literally messy situations because the chocolate will like 
like I'll be trying to, you know, eat some of the chocolate and it breaks the cone and suddenly the walls have broken and the ice cream is melting in my hands. So, no. So when it's a cone, I like to keep it at least relatively civil, you know, like a chocolate chip cookie dough or right. pralines and cream or something of that of that nature. What's with these like nut flavored ice creams, man? Like pralines and cream does not sound good at all. Like, Dude, it's delicious. No, it's got yeah. like right. I I don't I don't even know what pralines are. There's my atrocious answer. I don't actually know what they are, but you get that at like Washington Dairy or something. It's quite pralines tasty. are essentially like pecan, like it's a coating oh. of like of like but like like uh, butter and sugar essentially. Okay. Like and like some salt and whatever on like a pecan or whatever that makes a praline. I think if I'm designing my ultimate ice cream, it's got cookie dough, vanilla ice cream, caramel, peanut butter cups, and some sort of like salty pretzel or nut too, because I like I like the contrast that, that creates. So that's that's my yeah. ideal thing. I like how this is going to be a two second a two second segment. It's turned into like ten minutes. Sorry about that. Apparently, apparently we have hot takes on ice cream. Yeah. Speaking of hot takes, Ducksworth. Uh, well, we'll start with his other heat-related question. He wants to know if we are grillers. What's our go-to dish or dinner when I have people when we have people over? Uh, Steve, you seem like someone who likes to grill. Uh, yeah, thanks. Um, I don't know if that. I don't, yeah, no, I don't know if that's a compliment <laughs> or not. Um, so okay, so actually, just not too long ago, uh, on the Fourth of July, I went up to my dad's. Uh, it lives up in the Boondocks in uh, mid northern Michigan. Did like a they he brined some chicken for like three days in this like specific special brine like a salt based brine uh that he had made and they took it out they put it in the oven for a very short time and then they finish it off on the grill that's kind of going to be my go-to from now on because it was unbelievable uh super tender uh the biggest thing is the flavor was just unbelievable uh i'm a i'd say i'm like a mid mid level griller uh nothing too fancy uh Mostly chicken. Don't do a lot of beef anymore. Might throw some fish on the grill every once in a while, though, which is really good if you can, uh, you know, you can cook it right and everything. Uh, but barbecue chicken, probably, uh, you know, get a couple breasts on the on the grill and uh, make, you know, with barbecue sauce. I'll buy like a basic barbecue sauce at the store and then throw some other stuff in there. Maybe it'll make it a little bit spicier, kick it up a little bit. So uh, I'd say I'm like a mid-level guy. I'm not like gung-ho about the grill, but I, it does get use. Uh, maybe more often than uh, the average person. Okay, Isaiah. Uh, no, I haven't really grilled much since I've been back here on the farm. To be honest, uh, lots of uh, seems like any time I bring out the we do have a grill, but any time I bring out the grill, it just like attracts a bunch of bees and stuff and whatever. So I don't really haven't really done much here. But last when I was in California uh, and had a grill on my porch and everything, I used to. Uh, it was always always about burgers, pretty much, and he used to hand chop the beef. I'd get, like, a chuck steak and hand chop it, and uh, sometimes I'd maybe smoke it a little bit before throwing it out onto the grill, so just get a little bit of that that flavor, but it was actually usually more about the, uh, the toppings more so. I've always been, like, a kind of a gourmet toppings thing. Like, I know <laughs> the beef should stand on, on its own, you know, but, like, I've kind of, like, always been kind of like well let's throw it like a 
throw a little bit of lobster with some like bacon in it or something like that, and or like a just house made guacamole type thing. So mm. it's uh it's always been kind of like a mixed use idea. So it's probably less about the grill and kind of more about just the ingredients as a whole. Yeah, I I have grilled. I just find it too too time consuming and a little stressful. Like so I just I honestly have just switched to I'll make tacos or I will like I made like a bajillion tacos for the Super Bowl this past year. Uh, people were a big fan of that or like get a pizza or like honestly I've been at I've been at places where they just got like Chipotle catering or Qdoba catering and it it was great. So I'm I'm there's my atrocious answer Star Fox. Not not as into grilling as as these two were. Uh, Ducksworth also wants to know. In, in addition to grilling, he wants to know what our grilling takes are. He he asks what our hottest takes are for Michigan football and basketball. I can start. I think for football, it's that I think the offensive line. No, no. Since you guys might have an offensive line, I think the receiver core will be better this season than last season. Oh. Yeah, there we go. I'm bringing the heat. I had that one about the a... offensive line that was similar. My basketball take is that Charles Matthews will be maybe not a one and done, but he will be an NBA draft pick. He's going to be an all Big Ten caliber player uh, this season. I saw him a couple times in open practices, and, and obviously rumors are always high on the red shirt guys. You know, like, oh, he's the best player because, you know, he hasn't been seen yet. But I think he's going to be a real deal top two or three player for the Wolverines this season. What about you guys? Uh, football, I got a stick to one. I, they, I did a CBS video, my like hottest or boldest predictions or something like that. And I'm actually sticking to one of them for now. I think Tyrone Wheely Jr. has better receiving numbers this year uh, than Jake Butt had last year. Uh, I just... The physical upside is just—it's just too immense. Uh, would have liked to have seen them get him a little more involved in the receiving game last year than they did, and we maybe—and this is one of the things I'm—I'm uh, I'm not going to use the word concerned because I'm not concerned, but I may feel like I'm maybe overlooking Ian Bunting a little bit too much this offseason just because Wheatley has—he's probably the biggest tight end in the roster, but he's also probably the fastest tight end that's going to play. Um, and McCune, you know, a guy I might be overlooking. Harbaugh constantly mentions him, by the way, uh, as a guy that oh, yeah. is impressive. Is, yeah, is impressing. So uh, I just I think he puts it together. The bloodlines are obviously there. Uh, I think he's just had to kind of wait to try to figure it out. He'll probably be their most effective blocker day in and day out at the position two, which is going to put him on the field in some critical situations. So uh, we'll see. I mean, Spate you know, had a great rapport with Jake Butt. He obviously had a great rapport with Darbo. Uh, so it's, we'll see, but that, that's kind of mine. Basketball wise, I'm just, I'm always on the Duncan Robinson train. I just think he, uh, I don't know if he gets drafted. I think he finds his way into an NBA roster though, at some, at some point in his uh, future career, just because there's such a premium on the shooters in the NBA, he can shoot the lights out. I think he's just been a guy who's kind of slowly been putting it all together uh, you know, as long as uh, this year, I'm interested to see like how they play him defensively. You know, because he might be it might be a tough year for him there. Is if they're 
have if they're going to run them out the four yeah. uh, consistently, right? So that that's something to keep an eye on. But I think in the in the long run, as a pro prospect, I think that may actually help him. Uh, you know, learn how to play a little bit of a tougher brand of defense, and uh, you know, but but the shooting he already has the shooting down, which is always the most difficult part, in my opinion, uh, to be a guy a sh- guy that can shoot at that caliber. Uh, I don't think he takes like a Stoskis type leap this year, where he's like creating his own shots all the time. But I do think I, I mean I think he's got some more to his game though than he's even ha- gotten to show so far. I think so. Uh, that's again, this is supposed to be a hot take, right? right. So that's Something my uh, someone in this group will disagree with, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, and I don't doubt that you know not just somebody in this room or this fake room that we're talking in is going to disagree with this. So uh, that's my hot take for basketball. I don't really have a hot take for basketball, so I'm going to skip that entirely. But I'll go to football. And uh, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, something I've been kind of talking about lately on the boards and in, the, uh, in my morning column lately, which is that I think the secondary is actually going to be uh, an area of strength, uh, ultimately. I, I I know it's all very unproven. Really, only one guy out of the four has seen like actual substantial and meaningful playing time. But I just think that with everything that I've heard, and I know it's like a lot, you know, talk is cheap and everything, but everything I've heard about some of these guys, uh, and I've seen them all, you know, I've seen them in high school, like, you know, Levert Hill and David Long. Uh, but, like, I, I just see them being able to to actually be able to do what I've seen them do at high school level in, at the pro level. They've had a year already in the system. Uh I think that that's going to be a huge benefit. It's not like these guys are just stepping in and, and having to learn what to do or learn how to do press man coverage. These are guys that already excelled in press man coverage coming in. And I think that you're going to see, you know, not just Hill and Long and Metellus and Kinnell have uh, have good seasons, but you keep on hearing about, and even seeing a little bit in the spring game, like what, what a guy like Keith Washington can do and, and you know, we'll see Brandon Watson in the nickel, and he's been in the system for several years now. So, I you know, considering just the job that the coaching staff does, particularly uh, Mike Zordich, we saw how he was able to take over what was a an okay secondary, you know, with yeah, like glimmers of hope, and turn him into one of the best pass defenses in the country uh, overnight. And then they were the past, best pass defense in the country last year, and I don't think anyone in 2014 was looking at uh, Channing Stribling and saying this, you know, this two-star, you know, guy is going to end up being, you know, have you know, leading the team in pass in pass deflections yeah. and everything yeah. like that, you know, in, in being one of the best corners in the country, and he was, and I, I think that these guys that they have right now are are actually more talented, including over Jordan Lewis. I know that strikes a lot of people wrong to say that but I mean even even Jordan has said this time and time again that he he thinks these guys are way further ahead uh, and have more physical tools than he than he has and I actually agree with him there yeah that's a that's a well backed up hot take I think uh, we can move on into some of the some of the other questions debt Lions 20 asks any info on Omari Samuels Monet's weight adding that he looked bigger than usual, or Ambry Thomas. And so before before we get into it, I do want to say, moving forward, uh, 
don't ask us camp questions on on this podcast just because we and Steve already has stuff. Isaiah's going to have stuff later this week. Uh, VIP insight on like what the what people around the team are hearing and saying about fall camp. Uh, we don't want to we don't want to take away from the people that pay for those subscriptions on this free podcast. So we will not be addressing camp stuff. But these guys, there was stuff coming up in the summer and stuff that even the coaches had said about these three. So what have what have you guys heard? Amari Samuels, Monet's weight, and then also Ambry Thomas, uh, not counting this camp. Well, I'll start, I guess. Those are three. The two guys, I posted on Ambry this morning uh, about so far in camp, but, I mean, to be honest, it's not too different, I guess, than what we've heard. Uh, going back to what Jordan Lewis, about Jordan Lewis, uh, Jordan has said that about Lavert Hill and Amory Thomas, and he's been saying it for a really long time. So uh, I think Thomas is a guy who's going to get there eventually. Um, whether I mean, it could be this year. Again, they're, they're just putting the pads on today. So whatever's happened in the first two days of camp is, is in my opinion, minimal. I mean, this is walkthrough stuff. So if, if anybody's impressing, it's either because they just look physically ready or because they may have, you know, had their nose in the playbook all summer long and come in and they know what, you know, they know what their role is or they know what they, what they, you know, how to perform within the defense or offense. So uh, minimal stuff at this point. Uh, but with Ambry, I think his time is coming eventually. Uh, Samuels is a guy I know, you know, was impressive this summer uh, after enrolling as far as knowing what the offense is asking of him. And uh, as a guy who's perceptive, asking questions, uh, wanting to, to learn, you know, and, and again, I think that's going to be a common theme. I think Harbaugh, I think they try to do what they can. You can only do so much, but I think they try to do what they can to find uh, those types of guys, uh, the guys that eat, sleep, and breathe football. Uh, Kurt Taylor comes to mind uh, as a guy that kind of fits that mold, too, you know, so... Um, and with Monet, the one that I think most people probably care about or asking about, I assume that he'll probably need to shed some weight. I know that video they released the other day didn't maybe paint him in the best light as far as being in playing shape. But uh, I think he's a plug. I think he's a guy that sits right in the middle as sort of a run plug. I mean, that's really where you want him if you're going to put him next to Hurst anyway. So uh, whether that means he'll be – his snap count won't be as high as maybe people expected. And, you know, just, I don't know. We don't know what the coach's exact role for him is this season. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm torn on it because they don't have the depth necessarily to afford to kind of use him in that fashion. Um, but again, we don't know. We don't know what James Hudson's going to look like. We don't know what Aubrey Solomon is going to look like. We don't know what Michael Dwumfor is going to look like, you know? So, um, or even Carl Myers, you know, is a guy that I know the, uh, preferred walk-on that the staff really, really likes and, and got considerable playing time last year. So uh, kind of one of the mysteries of camp, uh, one that we'll, I'm sure we'll be digging on going forward. I mean, we, you want to know. I know people want to know, so that's that's kind of our job. But uh, still unknown. You know, it's, again, two days in, you don't learn anything. That's the one thing, you know, you reach out, you try to find out what's going on. The, the normal answer you get is like, well, we don't even have pads on yet. Like, there's nothing to, nothing to really... Yeah, there's some guys that look impressive physically, but you know, 
as far as like you know, you don't know who's going to win the cornerback battle yet, or no. uh, you know that type of stuff. Yeah. Like you're not going <laughs> to learn anything of sub, any substantive thing about anybody at this point. It's the second stinking day of camp. So, <laughs> is there anything well, to add? Well, this, that's actually to that last point that we don't know anything. I wrote about that in this morning's column. Is that that was kind of my takeaway from talking to one of my best sources close to the team is is these first few aren't about, you know, like, let's go out there and find a guy. It's not about, like, you know, oh, who's impressing or whatever. It's, it really is about just kind of establishing the culture, uh, keeping in mind that, you know, that's they're getting these guys back from, you know, several months of them, you know, working on their own if they're, even, you know, if they're even doing that to that point. You know, they've let them, they've let them, you know, free for the most part. And, you know, they've been working with, uh, with uh, strength coach Kevin Tolbert, something I've talked about, like he's kind of criminally underrated as a as a guy on the staff that really is helping mold these guys. And I know that they've been going a lot harder this particular summer than they have in the past. Kind of comes on the heels of Harbaugh at Big Ten Media Days last week saying that yep. the uh, that you know they they felt that those last you know losing three or four was a failure and they needed to you know as a coaching staff kind of you know, pour a little bit more into it. So that's one of the ways that they are doing it. As a result, what you're seeing is that they're kind of dipping their toes into the water, proverbially speaking, with the uh, way that they're kind of treating this fall camp from what I've heard. So it's really hard to kind of say, like, yeah, well, you know, this guy's, you know, going to be looking like this or looking like that really until you get into the meat of it. Uh, like Steve said, putting on the pads today, uh and everything, so that's going to be that's going to be where you're going to start to see some of that. But uh, um, just real quick with Ambry Thomas, guy I've posted on quite a bit this summer. Uh, from the same point of Jordan Lewis saying that, that's also something that, and I've I've written about this several times, but just to reiterate, Belleville coach Jermaine Crowell. Now Crowell uh, Crowell hasn't uh, hasn't coached Thomas in the sense that he's you know, been one of his team coaches. He has pretty good familiarity, obviously, with Lillard, as well as Jordan, having been the defensive coordinator at uh, Cast Tech. But he has worked out with Thomas and everything, and he's coached against him. And that's the, one of his biggest things was he was like, this guy is going to be just an absolute monster, just considering that he has everything that, that Jordan has, he has everything that Lillard has, and then some. So he has the ability to do the, the tight man coverage. He's a bit more athletic. Uh, he's taller, and he's bigger, and he's faster. So I will be interested to see if they, they find a way to get him included. I don't think they necessarily need to, but I, I'd imagine that they're going to, just considering that he has such a high upside. Yeah, well, we've heard good things about all three, uh, but you hear good things about pretty much everybody this time of year. So as as camp whittles down, I think Harbaugh said, you know, 8 to 15 days is kind of when you start to see the starters emerge. Uh, be sure to, if you if you haven't already, sign up, get all of our VIP insight uh, from, from fall camp and a whole lot more at michigan.247sports.com. We got we got a couple more questions, less less about specific players, more about... Uh, one specific unit that is an interesting one because there is coaching change, uh, there is a lost starter, but there is a lot of optimism about the unit in general. The running game, uh, we'll start 
Well, we'll list all the questions first, and then we'll then we'll get into these discussions. Max J. Gordon wants to know who do we think will be the start short yardage carry guy with Devian Smith being gone. Uh, and then Dizzo said, would you rather have a featured running back that gets 260 carries, 20 carries a game, or have a committee of running backs getting 5 to 10 touches each? He also asks, do we think Michigan will have a 1,000-yard running back this season? Uh, so I guess we can kind of s- just do a quick breakdown. Uh, I guess starting with the do you think it's going to be? I mean, Chris Evans has bulked up. He's gained about 8 pounds. Not that that you know it sounds like very little, but it can mean a lot. Uh, it could be the difference between you know twelve carries and sixteen carries. Do we think it's going to be one guy and a bunch to follow, or do we think that they're going to stick with the by committee that they had at the beginning of last season? Uh, Isaiah, you had a story about Chris Evans today, so I'll have you go first. Well, even even with Wheatley's departure at the as the running you know the running backs coach, I do think they're going to continue to have that philosophy of the merrier. I mean, they do have a stable of backs that's just kind of insanely loaded, uh, whether it looks like it or not, considering that you, we haven't seen one of those guys like truly emerge as, as a go-to option. I think that the obvious thing would be to see to see them rotate, but if the guy gets the hot hand, uh, then you just kind of ride that hot hand. Uh, as far as the as far as the thousand yard back, I don't think that anyone's going to get there, but I think that's just going to be because of limited touches overall. I just think they're going to spread the wealth. They just have too much, too much going on in the backfield there, and they all have such different styles. Uh, you know, that pretty much every single back has a different style than, than the next. Uh, and to that note, I would I would imagine uh, this is really just hypothetical. Really, honestly. Uh, I would I would imagine Kareem Walker would be the guy that would be that short yardage back. He's a guy that Harbaugh said during big yeah. media days is a hits the hole harder than anyone else. Uh, he's bulked up as well. He's up to two twenty, so that that's a that's a guy that I would say really has an opportunity to uh, establish that role as a between the tackles type guy. Steve, yeah, um, so. You know, there's a lot of question marks surrounding this team this year, but, you know, they still should blow out a safe amount of their opponents, in my opinion. And with that in mind, I think that's why you'll see more of a committee. And then in the bigger games, uh, when you're at Penn State, you're at Wisconsin, Ohio State at home, uh, might be more of a hot hand type thing or just go with the guy they think is the best back. Uh you know, if, if Chris Evans is number one, why give him 28 carries against Rutgers? You know, like there's no reason to do that. Right. So, you know, and you have, and, and it's not as if they don't have a lot of talent, uh, you know, around him with Karan Higdon, who, depending on who you talk to, is either getting slept on too much or is kind of getting a lot of hype. Higdon's varies depending on who you talk to. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Not inside the program, I'm saying, but just kind of people's yeah. opinion on him. Either he, you know, a lot of times he gets talked about as he gets talked about as the guy who doesn't get talked about. So, uh, you know, or the same with Ty Isaac, uh, who, you know, we'll see. Uh, I know there's been some encouraging reports on Walker as well. So, uh, again, there's some question marks there, but I don't think they're bad question marks necessarily. Uh, I don't think anybody gets to a thousand for kind of the same reasons Isaiah said. And like I said, you know, you're playing 
you know, you play a Rutgers or a Purdue or something like that. There's no reason to give Evans or, you know, whoever does win the number one job, uh, who I fully expect it to be Evans, but uh, there's no reason to give a guy 25 carries, uh, 30 carries in a game like that, you know, because, you know, if, if that was the case, be much more liable to get there because you could go, you know, could have a good game where you go for 180 or 200 yards, you know, if you're playing a, a poop team. So, um, so yeah, I, I I think it'll be a mix again, uh, just because I think one of the biggest things in football right now is keeping running backs fresh, especially in November where Michigan's really going to need them this year, and uh, so there's no reason to run guys ragged uh, in the early parts of the season, especially in the softer parts of the schedule. So yeah, uh, I think you yep yeah I think you'll see a committee of some kind. Uh, also, like I said, there's because there's not a shortage of talent there, and then I uh, I do not think that there will be a running back that'll go for a thousand yards. Okay. I I don't I think I think Evans could approach it, uh, but I just I don't think he gets there. Okay, I definitely agree with you guys. I think there's going to be a committee. One thing that also wasn't referenced is once they left the running back by committee, uh, their their rushing numbers plummeted. I mean, they they just did not move the ball. And part of that's because they were facing different kind of defensive lines and, and attacks but I think that looking back on the season you know one can make an argument that maybe Chris Evans and Ty Isaac deserved more carries in some of those games where uh, Michigan wasn't really moving the ball so I expect them to do a committee I think Isaiah's point about it being diverse players and like a bunch of it's not like it's not like they, they have like four guys that are the same and one guy's worse than the next it's four guys who are very good in a, in, in different ways so there's no reason to not do it. Also, I think that there is actually some truth to the, they said that NFL teams look at how many carries you get in college and factor that into how they draft you. Michigan certainly wants its players to have a professional future and have, have as much NFL success as possible. So I think that they, they're going to continue to do that, especially, I mean, I've got five games in my head that, that are going to be 20, that should be 20-point-plus blowouts. Uh, however, I do think... I disagree with you guys in this. I think someone gets a thousand because it's only seventy-seven yards per game, which I think is actually really attainable. You know, I mean, if someone goes off for a sixty-yard run and then has like thirty more yards, you know, they're ahead of the average on that. So I think, I think it happens. I'd put Chris Evans down. As for short yardage, uh, I don't know much about. I, I guess I haven't heard heard the same things about Kareem Walker, but I would say. You know, between if Ty Isaac can actually figure things out, he's got a big body. Khalid Hill, uh, I think he's going to be able to. I think he's going to be counted on more this season without yep. without Devion Smith. So he's probably on my third down short yardage situation list. And then if Kareem Walker, I mean, if he really does hit the hole harder than anybody, uh, probably probably no reason to not include him there. So interesting question, third, but th- third and one will be Hill, but it, yeah. I think it's. Well, who are you going like to give it to three. Three. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, I think, yeah. I think it could still... I mean, him and Ty Isaac would both need to figure out how to run lower, but right. I think they both could be in that in that conversation. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting position unit because they're... You know, we've heard Jay Harbaugh's having them run more outside the tackles. You know, their, their offensive line is reportedly more athletic, and they return a lot of really strong pieces... So it's cer- certainly something to watch. Appreciate the questions about that. Uh, moving on, Rico X19 asked, and this is always a fun one, your personal University of Michigan Mount Rushmore for both football and basketball. 
while in Ann Arbor, not pro career. So probably not putting Tom Brady on that list. Uh, we can start with football. Steve, I know you were talking about this before the show, kind of who was on your list. What do you got so far? Okay, so for football, there's three that should be on anybody's. If it's a true Mount Rushmore list, as in like if you're saying that Mount Rushmore are the four greatest, uh, has to be Woodson, has to be Howard, has to be Harmon. The question really is who is number four? I, I think Benny Oosterbahn is, is a possibility in that regard. I know he's you know from the from the early area, but he was a great player. And I don't know if, I don't know if coach counts. Because if you, I mean, if you count, count coaches, I guess Bo would probably be number four, right? So, um, but Oosterman did both uh, at Michigan. Uh, the other guy, though, that I, I always, I just think he was one of the greatest players that ever played here was Steve Hutchinson, too. Uh, you know, Michigan in that era, uh, late Bo, early Lloyd Carr era, put together and, and pumped out some of the best offensive linemen that the program has ever seen. Uh, he started all four years here, never missed – well, he was here five years, but you know, as a redshirt freshman, started on the national championship team, uh, started all every game of his Michigan career, and then again, I know pros don't count, but he went to start literally every single game of his pro career before he retired. So, uh, four-time first-team All-Big Ten. Yeah, which is I mean, nuts. I, I think I, I probably would lean Hutchinson. I, I just, I, you know, offensive linemen have always been kind of a, you know, when Michigan's won, it's really, it's been on the backs of some great offensive lines. I think he's the best one of, of anybody that's ever played here. So I, I think I'd have to lean Hutchinson. Uh, well, I, going with football, I'm actually going to include coaches. That was uh, kind of where I was going to go with it. Uh, obviously, Bo would be uh, one of them. Uh, I'd go also with, uh, I think that's self-explanatory, so I'm not even going to get into it really, but uh, I'd also go with Fritz Chrysler. Uh, for obviously all the work he did to really turn Michigan into Michigan before college football was really, really, really prevalent, uh, you know, kind of set the stage for things. Uh, and then, I mean, I think you just got to go with the, the Heisman winners. Other than that, Desmond and, and Woodson, I mean, they they were pretty much transcendent in uh, what they were able to do. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I wasn't really following football as much in the Woodson days. Unfortunately, I just kind of was wasn't really a sports fan for a couple of years, so I didn't really get to see it live. But you know, looking back, getting to watch some of the highlights and everything that he did is just kind of mesmerizing. Uh, obviously, being the only defensive player to, to win a Heisman, that's that's special in and of itself. Uh, I do remember watching uh, Desmond uh, when I was younger. Uh, I am unfortunately old enough to remember watching Desmond live uh, quite a bit, but uh, again, just just a guy that really just phenomenal what what he was able to do uh, on the field, and you know, still a great ambassador for Michigan football even after the fact. So uh, that would be my choice. Yeah, I'm trying to think who who was missed because I think I think Steve actually kind of nailed it with the players. I mean, look at look at who did the most. You know, as far as I mean, winning a championship helps. You know, right. being all American multiple years in a row is big, and and so being a part of a very good team and being a very good player on a very good team. So that's probably my forward. Probably be the three Heisman winners and Oosterbahn. Um I. 
I, I no no disrespect to Steve Hutchinson. I just haven't haven't looked into him enough. But obviously, four first team All Big Ten awards is kind of speaks for itself. Uh, pl- coaches surprised Isaiah. You did not say Fielding Yost. Uh, I know he was a long, long time ago, but he... That's who I meant to say, honestly, he instead was, of Fritz Chrysler. That's about, not to recant, but that's yeah. who I meant to say. Oh, gotcha. That's who I was picturing in my head when yeah. I said Fritz Chrysler. Because, like, feeling Yost, I mean, he was, like, the best coach, or one of the top three best coaches in the country for, like, two decades. Uh, that's, that's, that's very hard to do, especially in a time where football was really changing. I mean, like he, they implemented the forward pass mid-career, and he just kept winning titles. You know, it's kind of like all right. Uh, so, but Fritz Kreisler obviously did a lot too, and implemented uh, one-way players that only play offense and defense. So, innovator in his own right. Uh, basketball, Isaiah, you can be exempt if if you wish. Um, obviously, the two player of the years in history, Trey Burke, Cassie Russell, come to mind. Steve, who else? Who else is on that list for you? Uh, so I had Glenn Rice as one, definitely uh, legendary NCAA tournament run. Uh, a guy, yeah. I think those. I think those three guys are pretty much it. Uh, besides that, it's hard to say. Could be Rudy Tomjanovich. Uh, could be Bill Bunting. Uh, you know, there's a few of the the older era guys. I think that maybe fit it a little bit better. I mean, I'm pretty much naming the jerseys who are up in the rafters right now, but uh, I think the fourth one in basketball is really difficult. I I don't – I wouldn't put a Stoskis or a, uh, obviously like a Hardaway or a Glenn Robinson or any of those guys in there. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd probably lean back, back more towards the older eras. Uh, I guess I'd probably say bunting if I had to choose – uh, but the other three, I think, are, again, just like football, I think the first three are pretty much have to be those three guys, uh, in my opinion. No. no, I think that that top three, and you mentioned guys in the rafters. I, I assume Trey Burke's going to end up in the rafters pretty soon. Yep. Uh, yep. I mean, you win, win National Player of the Year, get within a game of the national title. I mean, that's stuff Michigan, historically speaking, I mean, you, you talk Trey Burke, Glenn Rice, Cassie Russell – They've been a part of almost all of those games where they were a game away from the national title. Uh, yeah, I, I'm looking, you know, trying to think, like, who else on the list? I know some fans are going to be mad if I put Chris Weber in there because he only stayed for two years, but he was consensus All-American. Michigan has not had very many of those players. I mean, Bill Bunton was on the second team. Tom Janovich was second team. Jalen Rose, second team. Uh, Gary Grant was a first team. So maybe he's Gary a guy. Grant, Gary Grant should be in there too. Yeah, another one. Yeah. yeah, he should be in that conversation. Uh, Ricky Green, and then that's that's really it, you know, as far as far as guys. So yeah, I agree that fourth that fourth slot is is tougher. Uh, I'd probably give it to Chris Weber just because. Well, partly because I, you know, haven't researched Rudy Tomjanovich that much, but Chris Weber was like the best player in the country. Like you can make a serious argument that he was the best player in the country for two years, and he's only here for two years, so instant impact and a pretty pretty high impact as well. So those are our Mount Rushmores, Rico. Uh, hope you I'll enjoy. I'll go with Zach, by the way, one hundred percent, because I put Chris Weber in there. With, you know, okay. Regardless of so regardless of the two years or the stigma of the past, we're watching those games. 
I do think he was the best player in the in the country at that time. And, yeah, yeah, and that's kind of so, what this what the list is like. Who who was just like the best at, in their era? Because you, you can't you can't say like oh, Cassie Russell would get wrecked in today's game. Maybe he would, but he was the best around, you know, outside of future NBA Hall of Famers when he was playing. So that's our Mount Rushmore. Uh, got got one more topic to do here. And it comes from TWSWBC. I don't know what that means, but that's their name. It said, name one draft-eligible underclassman that no one is talking about that could have a monster season and have a serious decision to stay or be drafted. Uh, not a huge junior class as far as the class of 2015. There are some redshirt 2014 guys that are in the conversation. Uh, S- Steve, I'll let you go first and... And name name one guy you think could do it. Uh, so I, I think so because we already kind of talked about this a little bit. I think Isaiah's answers are probably actually more accurate than mine. But I'm going back to the Tyrone Wheatley Jr. Well, uh, yeah, the 14 and 15 classes have been they're either gone or they haven't made a massive impact yet. Um, I think Wheatley Jr., I just, again, I'm going kind of back to the same reason why I made my bold prediction around him. I just think the ceiling is super high. I think he's a guy that could have a huge breakout season. Uh, you know, it's just a, really it'll be a matter, in my opinion. I think, and that's why the Florida game is so important for a lot of these players is I think they're just going to have to have a taste of success on the big stage. I think that's just a, I think that's a real thing. I think there are guys that once they figure it out, um, I know that's a very cliche way of saying it, but I think they're just on the big stage in a big game. If you can make some plays and do make an impact, I think your confidence builds from there. You become more comfortable in your abilities. So, you know, I think he's that type of guy where if he maybe comes out against Florida, has a good game, which I definitely think he can against their linebacker core, who I believe replaces at least two of their starters. Uh, Are you talking Florida's and, linebackers? Yeah. Yeah, uh, they replace... It might be all three, but basically it was something like three of their top four are gone. Right, Yeah. right. So, you know, there's going to be opportunities there in the middle of the field. And, again, I just I don't even know if he's a guy, a linebacker, you're going to put a linebacker on. He's he's going to be a lot faster than most linebackers. And if, he, if the linebacker is fast enough to cover him, he ain't going to be even close to as big as he is. You know, so um, – He's just a matchup nightmare. I think if he exploits that and figures it out, I think he has a massive season this year, especially, again, we just know how much they love to use the tight end, how much it opens up things for everybody else. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, I think he could fit that mold for sure. All right, well, I, I had two answers in the pre-show, but obviously I'm only going to go with one because of the, the strictures of, uh, of the question here. But uh, I'm going to go with more one that's more likely to be unpopular, uh, which is Wilton Spate, redshirt junior, quarterback, Michigan, to potentially be a guy that could be drafted for the sake of, you know, if Michigan does well, it will likely be because Wilton Spate does well. If there's like a, if there's a young line, you know, not young lineman, but young, young play, younger player that's draft eligible looking to go into the draft this season, it's most likely because there was some wild success on one side of the ball. Uh, I think we already know that the defense is probably going to be the more likely side of it all, but if the offense comes together, then we'll really see 
uh, Michigan take off. I think Spate has the most to either gain or lose going into the season uh, because if, if he plays the way that he's capable of playing and the way the staff thinks he can play, uh, he could be a guy that really could make that jump to the NFL this upcoming he season. He checks a lot of draft boxes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got, he's got a, a lot that, that really that could really translate well uh, to the next level if he can be consistent. It's just a matter of that. So it's, it's to me that that would be that would be the guy that I, I would be looking out for. I know that's not going to be a popular answer because a lot of people are kind of you know looking you know back over his shoulder at the at the guys behind him. But I think that's the best case scenario if you're a Michigan fan as well. Is if you know Spate has a monster year and goes to the draft. I mean that that's kind of what you're going to want to see with the kind of guys they're bringing in anyway, you know, for pretty much the rest of the Harbaugh era, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think generally the idea that someone who is a top four quarterback in the Big Ten in their first season as starter could ascend. I mean, that's that's kind of the whole, that's Harbaugh's kind of claim to fame is that, you know, he could turn multi, guys who stuck it out for more than a year, he had them looking like really elite quarterbacks in year two. Yeah, I think it's probably an easy one, but Chase Winovich, uh, he'll have lots of opportunities playing on that loaded line. Like He's not going to get double teamed, so he can put up big numbers. And uh, It's just his second full season at defensive end, so that's something to keep an eye on. But I agree with Steve. I mean, there's really in the 2014-2015 classes, they're either gone or something you know clearly went wrong or they're just kind of kind of in the middle. Uh, I'm looking at the top 2014 guys. You know, Mason Cole, Jabril Peppers, Brian Monet, obviously. Drake Harris could be an interesting one, too. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you know, that's that's one that we are going to have to see it in-game before you can say anything of that nature, but a very solid athlete that, that's switching positions, so he might get some benefit of the doubt there. Uh, 2015... I mean, best recruit that will play this season is Tyree Kinnell and then yeah. TJ Wheatley. You know, that's yep. so I not right off Tyree either, well, by the way. Yeah. I think he's got some I think he's got some real uh I think he's definitely gonna be the captain back there in that defensive backfield. Yes. Yeah. So if if they play well, uh I think he's a guy that's gonna have to you know, he should get a lot of credit for that because I think he he's pretty much progressed the way I kind of thought he would come out of high school. I know one of his assistants always said he'll eventually be the captain of their defensive backfield and that's that's happened. And uh mm-hmm. you know, so I wouldn't write him off so quickly uh, as a guy that could have a really big year at safety. Uh I thought he looked good in his in the time that he did play last year. Um I know the coaches trust him. Uh, and 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 he's a guy again. I think he has a lot of the physical skills, but he also has the uh, mental, as far as like a playbook and and a and a communication type thing. That uh, you know, really, I think you know, we ranked him as the was he tied for tenth. I I was one that thought yeah. personally he should have been a little bit higher as far as important players this yeah. year. But um, yeah, I just think you know because the, there is the inexperience. There's a ton of talent back there, no doubt about it. He's that really the actually, all. What's that? I'd say a guy who also he. You know, admitted he spent the last couple of years really learning from Jared Wilson and Delano Hill to as to how to to really captain a defensive backfield and 
really how to how to you know be a leader back there. Right. So yeah. I, I yeah, I'm with you guys. Okay. He also TWS WBC also has over under seven NFL draft picks in 2018, and I think I think we can all assume that Mason Cole, Mike McCray, and Mo Hurst will be in that group. So they they're gonna have three. They're all all three are top 100 draft prospects, and I I'm leaning pretty strongly toward the under. I mean Khalid Hill, Henry Poji. I'm trying to think who else. Patrick Kugler. Uh, that that guys that like if a, they have a good season could enter the conversation. I'm trying to think. I don't even. I don't even know if I can name seven that I would put at like forty percent odds. Yeah. Well, but you know, so that we're at four. I'm trying to think. Who else? No, I think the yeah. I think the fact that we can't. Say, I mean, it, it's it's not because the team isn't going to be as good. It's just that it's going to be a ton of young talent yeah I mean, it's that simple well, and like I even mean, like Tyree Kendall like yeah he might be he might be fantastic I expect him to have a solid season but is he going to be so good that he's going to leave Michigan a right. year early you, exactly. you probably have to be a top 100 prospects to be in that and conversation even then, yeah. that's not a guarantee either yeah you, know, you always seem to have guys like Jake Butt that could have gone that stay for another year at a place like Michigan so it's uh, it's you know they're gonna going to be more of a pro factory going forward than they had been in the last decade, of course. But I, I still think you're going to see a lot of guys stay, you know, run out a lot more of their eligibility. So yeah, that's kind of a hard number to get to. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'll be it'll be an interesting fall camp to watch as they try to get these other guys that you know aren't going to be draft eligible up to speed, playing like draft eligible players. And that's that's going to do it for our podcast. Certainly, big shout out to our listeners who have made this thing into what it is. Shout out to Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hull for joining me on the phone to make this discussion go round. And each week, each one of these will be a little bit closer to football season. So certainly everyone can get excited about that. I'm Zach Shaw for the 24-7 Sports team. We want to thank you for listening. Hope you learned something. Hope you had some fun. And we'll see you next time.